two. I'm the black man, black man, I'm sorry. I'm the black man, black man, I'm sorry. I'm the black man, black man, I'm sorry. I'm the black man, Black, bliggity black, yeah, welcome to another episode of Black Men Do Talk. We have overdue conversations from a black man's perspective. I am one of your hosts, Street Hems. Harris. You gotta get in the mic, bro. Yeah, man, you, you, I know you cool, bro, but you feel me? You gotta get, you gotta get. Yeah, this Dre Harris. Man. Yes, sir, yes, sir. And we got a very special guest today. He's not mic'd up for the last of the audience, but he is mic'd up, you know what I'm saying, on the road mic, so come through. Introduce yourself, good sir. Yeah, Franklin Rivers Hodge. Yeah, it's good to be with y'all, bro. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, typically, we start off the week, start off by talking about how our week was. You know, um, man, I had a very, very crazy week. Uh, this time last Sunday, I woke up for the next day, uh, ready to get started with work and stuff like that. I work from my computer, and I kind of run like social media pages for other artists and creatives and stuff like that. And I couldn't find my laptop. And so I was like, yo, where's my laptop? I spent like at least two hours looking for my laptop. It's like 10 o'clock now at this point. And so I go to my mom's house. I'm like, yo, I don't know where my laptop is. Maybe I left it over there. Didn't leave it over there. But my backpack was in there. And then I was like, let me just do the find my joint. I did the find my thing. And it was in Round Rock, Texas. And Round Rock is... New Jerusalem, you feel me? So I was like, okay, somebody stole, you, you're from Round Rock? Oh, gosh. We know who got you. Oh, God, huh? We know who got you. You know, yeah, it must have been one of your people. I was like, I only went to church in the mall. So it was either some of the church folk or the mall folk. But I, I could have, I could, like, I, I, I vividly remember putting it in my backpack. Somebody, like, really must have got me. It's crazy. So this like this is a $1,400 laptop. So I'm like, man, like it has everything on it. All the podcast stuff I've ever done, because I do all the editing and the, and the clips and stuff like that. Uh, I have my music on there, you know what I'm saying, everything. So um, most of my music stuff is backed up. But anyways, you know, I was like, you know, it's, since we're in the spirit of the topic, I was, I was about that action, man. So I pulled up the Round Rock. <laughs> when I tell you um, I, I was in Round Rock, I got there around one o'clock and I was in front of the area slash the house. Like it was an apartment complex. So I called the police, made a police report locally. Then I called the Round Rock police just to like, hey, I'll be there and then I'm going to get my laptop back. And they're like, hey, but well, we can't help you. All we can do is respond um, after anything happens because it's an apartment complex and we, we can't play the guessing game with you. We can't go knocking on doors because we don't got a warrant. And so I was like, cool. So I staked the place out for at least four hours. I'm talking about, I was like obsessive. I'm talking, I, every person that went out their house within that radius, I got all their faces. I take, took pictures of all the license plates of everybody that was in there. Um, I did some regrettable things too. Like, um, cause I had the, I had the location. So when I was over the dot of the actual location I was pinned at, it was cars in that vicinity. And I was like opening car doors and stuff. I'm like, I'm finna, I'm finna grab my laptop and then be out. I don't want nobody to know I was in. I mean, all them joints is locked. So, but I was, I was like, I was on some, you know what I'm saying? 
it wasn't no demon time. It was like more that Nephilim time. You know what I'm saying? I was uh, I was on Nephilim time. You feel me? Like it wasn't it wasn't good. It wasn't good. But um, but yeah. So I was I was about to sit there and wait, and um, I I legit like sat there, made a post about it. I was bored, and then one of my friends challenged me. She's like, "Yo, it's not worth it." You know what I'm saying like like go home, like God like make a GoFundMe. God gonna God gonna God gonna get you. And I'm like. I've already invested too much in this. Like, I can't just leave. Like, I feel like I'm almost there. And whatever the confrontation was, I'm like, I'm ready for that. I didn't know what that actually was. You know what I'm saying? It's like the dog chasing the car. Like, what, do you, what am I actually going to do when something happens? Like, for me, I'm not going to run into a person's house. You know, I'm a pretty peaceful person, but I just wanted my laptop. I'm like, yo, it's, it's too much on there. It's like, it's priceless to me. And it does have a price. And I'm broke. And that's my job. So, like, it's like... Yo, this is this is tough, right? Um, I'm talking about I'm borrowing money from my mom, who I've already borrowed money from for the entire month. I'm like in debt to her, like a thousand dollars, in debt to a friend, because I want to take my uh, my friend's uh, daughters out to watch the Barbie movie. Borrowed like money for that, and I was in debt to that person. I'm like I'm all this debt on me, having to pay to even get the gas to drive around Rock and stuff like that. So I'm like I'm like nah, I'm staying here for this, right? And then the spirit just is like go home, bro. So I just went home, bro, and like, and I tell you, fam, I created a GoFundMe, and before I even got home, I had to, like, for a $14 laptop, I had to at least have $5,000 worth sent to me through people. And I'm talking about, I'm, like, it's only a three three-hour three hour drive, you know, and not only was it the GoFundMe that was, like, literally 90% done before I even got home, but, like, my cash app starts getting hit, and then... The Venmo starts getting hit. I'm sitting here like, yo, y'all, I woke up in the morning. It's already done. So I'm posting like, hey, we made it, y'all. People still giving. I'm like, should I tell them to stop? Like, it's, it's like, y'all see, like, we already made the goal. Like, why y'all keep giving? It's like, yo, we love you. And I'm sitting there like, man, bro. So, man, when I tell you, it's, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm, I'm just reminded of God's love and grace. Because, man, you know, the toughest part for me was seeing people in the comment section say, like, things like, you deserve this, you know, or like, man, like, like we got you because of all the things you've done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and I don't feel like I'll be doing enough, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I, I, I do enough output, I, I failed too many people, I failed this person, I failed in this situation, I fumbled this bag, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and yet people are telling me, like, oh, man, we love you just for you, I'm saying, not for what you've done, but we see what you've done, and... I had to say, man, like, I've sown a lot. You know what I'm saying? I've sown a lot of seeds, you know? And so this is one of those moments where I have the blessing to see the harvest, you know? So, man, you know, um, I was able to pay my mama back, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Look, what I, t oh, bro, it was tough. She, like, she, on the way there, she's like, we got to have a talk when you get back. You better start looking at some nine to five and start working because uh, this ain't it. And I'm like, and it was tough because, like, I've, I've been doing good financially for the past, you know what I'm saying, like six plus months. Um, but just recently, it's just one of those things where finances for the house getting fixed, uh, finances for, like, bills and all this other stuff, stuff that came out of nowhere. I'm like, okay, but I got the money. I got it. It was like, I don't want to owe nothing. I don't want to. I was like, I'm just paying everything off. By the time I paid everything off, I was like, oh, I ain't got no more money. You know what I'm saying? And, it, and it's just one of those things, like, man, so – just it was a whole two months of just me borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and paying back and borrowing and paying back. So I was always behind. And now I'm like, man, I can I 
I can breathe, man. I don't owe nobody. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, this is great. Man, God came through. You feel me? So, shout out to God. Indeed, indeed. That was my week. I know it was a little long. My bad. Little, no, that's long good, bro. Story, it's, it's beautiful how much God can do when we surrender. Yeah. And it's like yeah. so much of the stuff that we go through, we try to like take control of and try to keep in our own hands. And the moment that we start to let go of those things is the moment that God shows that he's there and he's capable of taking care of everything. So, yeah, bro, that's, that's good stuff. Hey, man. Make sure I got the channel right. Man, introduce yourself, good sir. You know what I'm saying? Let them know who you are, where you from, what you do, et cetera, man. And uh, we'll get into the testimony a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as I said, yeah, like I'm Franklin and um, half Puerto Rican, half Salvadorian. Didn't grow up here in the U.S., as you can tell in my accent. Uh, was born in Puerto Rico, and then I moved to El Salvador whenever I was little. And... Yeah, like came here to America like eight years ago, something like that. And now at the moment I live in uh, North Texas. So yeah, and I met Street literally like six months ago, something like that, in, uh, in a conference that we had. And uh, yeah, it turned out that we know some of the few people. Yeah, yeah. small yeah. world, bro, yeah. small world. Yeah. So, and um, literally, bro, man, when I tell you, bro, like even when we were talking, um, Man, was that before? This is a uh, this is around. Tim Ross was there too. Yeah. I think. What what date was that? Bro. March, I think, or April, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Man. Yeah. 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 Or maybe like actually maybe before that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so, um, bro, I, th I think when I met you, I think I was talking about the ministry I, I, I'm doing, like, as far as, like, with the juvenile yeah. and stuff like that, and um, basically going there and teaching hip-hop, and, and uh, mm -hmm. when they get out, letting them have a program they can come to, and then literally have a place where they can, you know, record, yeah. learn, yeah. learn music business, et cetera, uh, teach them how to garden, et cetera, like, it's yeah. all the things I've already done with some of the other kids. Um, around that time, I think when I met you, the main kid who I was working with, yeah, you know, he was still alive, I believe. Yeah, he and was. After that, he got, yeah, shot. He got yeah. shot and killed. Yeah. Man, that's yeah. wild, bro. Yeah, that's wild. And so when I even started talking about that, you were looking at me and you were like, "That's <laughs> literally me." Yeah, you know. What I'm yeah. So, yeah. so tell us a little bit about like you know, um, where you kind of got introduced into just the whole juvenile detention center life of going in and out, et cetera. And it also, I mean, it sounds like even when you started all that, you didn't even speak English. So, so what was, where did, where did all that, like, so was it in America you started getting into trouble or before that? Okay, so, so, so what was that? Talk, talk a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, man, uh, so literally all my life started, like, shifting whenever I was, like, six years old. Because I remember getting like sexually abused whenever I was three years old, but I was too small to where like I didn't fully know what it was or anything like that. And then at six years old, I got sexually abused again. And that's whenever I kind of like put two and two together. You feel me? And I started like looking around and everything and just kind of like examining in a way the other kids, right? And uh, I started finding out that I didn't have a mom, that I didn't have a dad. 
and the only person that I had it was my grandma. And so I start like, like seeking love. And I would go to my mom for love and affection and all that kind of stuff. But my grandma grew up like in the middle of war in El Salvador. And so she wasn't affectionate neither. You know what I'm saying? And so like literally I would cry and they would ask me like, why are you crying? Like you're, you're a man, men don't cry, right? And so like I start getting that into my mind since I was like six years old. So I start like just telling myself, all right, like I'm a man. And anytime that something happens, I don't cry. I'm supposed to man up and just get through it. You feel me? And so whenever I was nine years old, one of my uncles that was gonna adopt me uh, got killed by the opposite gang, uh, like in the territory, right? And so that's kind of what it shifted my life, man. And that's where I was like, you know what? Forget everything. Like the only person that saw me, wanted me and loved me, just got killed. You know what I'm saying? And so I didn't have a dad, I didn't have a mom, and, and the only person that loved me and was gonna do everything for me got taken away from me. So forget it. And that's where I put my, I set my mind on, I want power, I want money, I want whatever it takes to where like, it, it will get me out of it. And the gangs were the perfect place for it. You know what I mean? And I was nine years old, hurt, and willing to do whatever it take to have, to have a voice, to have like, to where like people see me and they don't just see a piece of trash. You feel me? And so, yeah, bro, like nine years old, nine and a half, got jumped in, in the gangs. And since then, man, like I started uh, just doing things in the streets with the gang and, and I got my first gun, gun and I got tied it up and I became somebody. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, yeah, since then I, I thought I was somebody, a nine, nine years old. And then quickly after that, bro, at 10 years old, I got, I got caught with, uh, like I, I went to prison uh, in charges of narco, uh, so narcotics. And over there, they don't have, I was telling a few people that over there, there is no juvenile system. It's only, prison. yeah, it's just prison. Like over there, if you are a minor and you have like discipline, pro discipline problems, that they send you like to a boot camp type of stuff, you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, but if you have like gang tattoos or you are like aff like affiliated with a gang, then they just throw you in because they know that all you're gonna be, it's gonna be trouble outside. And that is not a dis discipline problem. That is a, like you choose to be in the gang. Therefore, they are gonna show you what, you what the rest of your life could be. You know what I'm saying? And at that time over there, the government was corrupt, man. Like the the government, like the police departments and everything pretty much, they work for the gangs. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so it was literally, there was no, no, not like here. You know what I'm saying? So how'd you actually get over to America? Uh, I walked. So I left. <laughs> hey, yo, indeed. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I walk, bro. Like, I walk and jump into, like, pickups and jump off pickups and rode on top of the train and jump off the train and then had to walk mountains and everything. And it took me about, like, a month and a half, something like that, to get here, like, from El Salvador. So I went through 
two countries to be able to come here. So, wow. yeah, bro. But you knew where you were going. And the heck, though. No. <laughs> oh. I had no idea where I was going. Wait, 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 how, wait how old were you this time? 16. 16 and a half, yeah. I, I left the country, bro, because my, I had a price on my head, so I had to leave the country. Um, and that's whenever I, one of my homeboys, he was like, hey, you gotta leave, man. Like, you gotta get out. And the night that I left, and the trap house that I was living at, literally left around 2 a.m., around 6 a.m., the house blew up, bro. Somebody put a bomb in there because they thought that I was still in it. And it was, yeah, I mean, literally that happened around 6 a.m. and around 1 p.m. my best friend got killed because they thought that it was me. So it was literally, bro, like I had, at this time I had been shot already three times and I had, I, I was stabbed already two, like two times, I think. And so it was, I mean, they wanted me, bro. They were after me and that's the only reason why I left the country. I didn't want it to. I was like, hey, I, I got in the game. Therefore, like my life, I knew that it was sold to, to the gang. You know what I mean? So I knew that I knew that I was gonna either end up in the hospital for life, like hooked into a machine and the in prison or in the cemetery. You know what I mean? I knew that that was gonna be my destination. So therefore I was like, I don't care if I get killed, I get killed, but I'm gonna make sure that I'm gonna take people with me. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, but that's how I came to America, bro. Like just, and yeah, I, I heard actually one of your uh, other other interviews you did, bro. One of the most interesting parts of that joint for me was when you said you first saw a Walmart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, bro. I didn't what know. What was that like, bro? Dude, it what was. What age was that? I was seventeen. Yeah, yeah, seventeen, something like that. Yeah, I went to <laughs> I went to Walmart and I literally I walk into these. First of all, I came to this full of cars. I've never seen those so many cars. The only time that I have seen so many cars, it was whenever you're in a shooting because you're literally like, there is cars coming and going, right? And so, but at this time I'm like, pull up to the, to the Walmart parking lot and I'm like, where in the heck am I? You know what I'm saying? And then we walk through the doors and I'm walking and this door just like slides to the side, right? Like just open. And I literally, I walked it up like, like this, following the door. And I waited for other people to walk in, to see the door close, and then to see why it opens whenever, like, without people touching it or anything. <laughs> and so it, it happened again, and I walked in, right? Like, I was, like, blown away by the doors. Yeah. Maybe to y'all, it's just, it's just like, hey, that's just a door, bro. But I'm like, I've never seen a door like that. You feel me? Like, yeah. uh, and so... I walked in, as soon as I walked in, I see this huge thing. And I'm like, am I in the same world or am I in a different world? Like I felt like I, I just got like, I was dreaming or something. And I walked outside again, look at the place. Like I almost walked around to make sure that like, it had an end and like, and it was not just like a black hole or something that I'm, I'm gonna fall into it. And it was, yeah, it was just a building. And I'm like, what in the heck is going on in here? Yeah, you, see, you, like, yeah. saw the food, you saw the food, you saw like Clothes in there, like, I mean, parts for your car, like everything. I was like, dude, what is going on in here? Because I've never seen none of that. You know what I'm saying? And, and so, it's because uh, you said uh, at that time, the majority of your life, you spent homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's like your childhood. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Bro. Homeless or in prison. 
And so I didn't know, I didn't, I never been to a gas station. You know what I'm saying? Over there, there's no gas stations. Like, especially being in the gangs, like you don't go to gas station. You don't really go to public places. You know what I mean? Because if anything, I mean, they see your tattoos or something, they right away know that you're a, a, a gang member. And if they see your colors because you're dressed by colors, if you somebody from the opposite sees you like from a block and they see you that you're dressing with a different color, like they are gonna shoot you right there. Like there's no like talking or anything. It's like, hey, I see the opposite and I'm I'm I was taught to kill. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like fighting. There's no really fighting. Fighting you fight between your gang, like in, in within your gang. That's the only fighting that happens. Other than that, the way that you solve problem is killing. You know what I'm saying? Killing, and, and that was about it. And so, yeah, so that's why I didn't know anything about Walmart or gas stations or anything of that, man, like whenever I came here. Yeah. <laughs> Any that you were tapping into? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's crazy. It's, I'm sitting here thinking about the correlation between someone, like what you've experienced and what I experienced. Mm. And it's, it's crazy that, like, it's pretty much the same story. It's just different, different mm. place. It's just a different place, bro. Yeah. Like same, like you talked about experience with your uncle and that kind of at the age of what well, I think you said six, not nine. Nine, yeah. nine. So the mm. age of nine, you experienced something and that drew you into the games. Mm. I was eleven mm. and I, I I witnessed someone run into our house, basically rob rob my house. We live right in the in the hood and. From that moment, and then I, after that, I witnessed one of my uh, older cousins kill somebody. Mm. And from that moment, I like seen how they moved around him after he killed somebody. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want that same level yeah. of respect. <laughs> like I was like, they yeah. after he murdered somebody, it was like they wouldn't, nobody was messing with him yeah. after that. Like they, yeah. he had this like respect. Yeah. And I just like longed for that because mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to feel powerless anymore, mm -hmm. and I didn't have anybody else to look up to. Mm -hmm. No level of influence that like was positive. So I was looking for the same affirmations yeah. as you were, you know what I yeah. mean? The same, yeah. around the same age group. So it's just crazy that, man, the lack of, of leadership, the lack mm -hmm. of fatherhood, the yeah. lack of all those things just lead and draw us into those situations. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I, I yeah. love how you put it though, Dre, because um, when you finally do write your book, you know, <laughs> um, essentially, you, 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 the whole angle is like the discipleship the leadership, mm -hmm. the mentorship, mm -hmm. it's all there. It is. It's yep. just for a gang. Yeah. And so everything that you could get in the church is something that you get from awesome. a gang. Yeah. But with a way different angle, way, mm -hmm. way more intentionality. Yeah. Like, like I, you can, I'm pretty sure you can, you can attest to this. When we're really young and we start to be involved in those gangs, the older cat, the big homies, they come and pick us up. Yeah. And they want to take us. They show us how to yeah. chop up dope, yep. load up yep. guns, shoot yep. guns, do the whole nine shows, how to throw up our gang, show up the colors mm -hmm. to wear. It's literally like a day-to-day -day discipleship Discipleship. walking yep. with us. And I tell people all the time, the streets do a lot better job discipling than the church. Yeah. But if we don't yeah. step up and start being more intentional in the church, it's 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 way more appealing yeah. because what they offer is that sin that will draw people. It's like like if you got the option, like go sit at church on Sunday or hop go, in his car. Hop in his car, you're gonna yeah. meet some women, you're gonna do some drugs, all that kind of stuff. Like that's more appealing, right? Mm. But like there we have to find a way to kind of like flip that, you know what I mean? Because 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's a struggle, man. Especially when you don't have a father, bro. Yeah. You don't have nobody that's that's encouraging you, yeah. that you actually can look up to. And you're looking up to people that are murderers. Mm -hmm. like your, your, if, if your first, first influence, your first, first person that you want to be like, like is a killer, mm -hmm. bro, like, you kind of set up for failure. failure. Yeah. 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 yeah, and that's one of the things, man. Like, I've been, I've been studying because, yeah, like, I'm writing a book as well. Uh, and so I've just been doing a lot of studying of, like, why do, like, especially for myself, because, like, the book that, I want, that I'm writing, I'm, I'm doing it more on a discipleship type of, type of way. You know what I'm saying? It's about my testimony, but just how can, like, if a, if a high schooler grabs that book, how can he uh, become a, like, how can he choose the the church way instead of the, the street way. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Because that was one of the things, man, like statistically, 85% of the uh, young men that go to juvies or ended up in prison or anything like that don't have a father. Like they grew up fatherless. And that's a huge, uh, huge thing in our lives. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like not having that male uh, leadership to show you and walk you through it through life and literally teach you how to like treat a woman. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like literally yeah. just opening a door to a woman is huge. Like opening the door, like the door of a car. You know what I'm saying? All those little things, whenever you grow up, you grew up like it, it molds you to be a leader, to yes. step up. But if you don't have a, a, a dad, like you don't have none of that. You know what I'm saying? And it is truth. I mean, uh, my homeboys are the one that taught me everything. And that's why whenever I came here and I got adopted by a, by a family, like, I didn't, know, I didn't know how to be part of a family. All I knew was how to, like, shoot guns, how to, like, hurt people. I mean, you tell me anything about drugs, and I'm like, hey, yeah, like, I, I can just by smelling it or by seeing somebody, I know what, what kind of drugs they are using. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Because how much they, like, they teach you. They, they want you to know literally everything so you can be a great soldier you know what i mean and, and that's the same thing that the church is failing that's where the church is failing the, wow. yeah there is not enough leadership in the churches right now therefore like you're gonna go outside and look for it man and, am, am i wrong dre um so the the biblical word for orphan just just means somebody without a father mm -hmm. right and so throughout the entire narrative of the scriptures old testament to new testament it constantly harps on being there for widows, mm -hmm. um, somebody, a, a, a woman without a covering, mm -hmm. and then a child without a covering, mm -hmm. you know? And so as I see that, and even in the scripture where it talks about good religion is this, good and pure undefiled religion is this, mm -hmm. is being there yeah. for the poor, being there for the widows and the orphans. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, is the church, how can the church be better at being there for the fatherless, you know, at this point in time, because we're, I'm passionate about youth ministry, you mm -hmm. know, and you can't be passionate about youth ministry in an urban context without being passionate about those who don't have fathers. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it just comes with the territory, mm -hmm. right? And so how, 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 do you, how have you seen um, it be done right in, in your own lives? Because right now, you know what I'm saying? Shout out to them. You know, let's, let's, let's shout these men out. You know what I'm saying? We got men <laughs> in here.
actually like sharing their emotions, sharing their heart. Like this is this is this is I, I feel honored. Um, what did discipleship look like for you from them? Because a lot of times, especially adopting someone from an urban context like that, um, it's not easy. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you're literally signing up to struggle. You're signing up knowing that you're going to get rejected. You're signing up knowing that you're going to get pushed away, knowing that you're going to get spat on, knowing that you're going to get rejected. Like, I, I tell people all the time, like, I, I, I truly can't relate to people who uh, post about the soft life and post about, you know, I only keep people around me and match my energy, and if, if your energy's not good, I can't be around. I'm like, yeah, I, you don't have that luxury in youth ministry. Mm. You don't have that luxury in working with juveniles. Like, it's no. like you're signing up to be rejected. You're signing up to be abandoned. You know what I'm saying? You're signing up to be uh, disrespected. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, so, so what did they do for you? And I think this is a, a white couple too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a white couple that took you in. Yeah. What was your... First, tell the story of even how you even started there, man. This is, I heard this, I, I, was, I was blown away. So like, like even you, your introduction to being around them, what was that like? Yeah, yeah, man. So I, first of all, I sneak into their house because I didn't have no, I was homeless for like about six months, five months here in Dallas. And so. This was during Snowmageddon, I believe. Yeah, right? yeah. This is during Snowmageddon. Yeah. So he was, he was outside during Snowmageddon. Yeah. And. This was, this was like, yeah, this is the time when people were in their houses passing away, mm-hmm. right? So he's outside, yeah. and then his solution was, yeah, I'm going to sneak in somebody's yeah. house and sleep there. Yeah, and it just happened. I kind of knew the couple already because they were fostering a guy that was in the same gang that I was in it. And so that's kind of how I interacted with them, had come to the house, kind of knew their, their, and I mean, again, like, I have the gang mentality, so, like, I, I study people, you know what I'm saying? So I study like the, what, what time they go to bed, like how they do it and everything, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this is like, it's bad, bro, but like, I, I had to. You know what I'm saying? And so whenever that happened, it was so cold outside, man, that I couldn't even feel uh, my arms. And it, I mean, where I'm from, over there, the coldest it gets like 75, you know what I'm saying? And so I started sneaking into their house and after two weeks of sneaking in, I got cut. Like I was going up the stairs and now my mom turned on the light and she was like, Franklin? And I, I didn't spoke no English, bro. So like whenever she said my name, turn around, I was like, I was expecting for the dad to come and just like, boom, shoot me. You know what I'm saying? And so I just dropped everything, bro, put my hands up and I was like, no, like no police, no police, no police. And that's all I could say. And so they came, talked to me and Long story short, bro, like we, they ended up adopting me. You know what I mean? Because like I told them what, what was going on. They asked me about my family. I told them that I didn't have a, had a family because I came here without a family. I came here by myself. And so uh, was in foster program since I was a minor for a little bit and then ran away because I didn't know how to follow rules. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know how to be in a household, like be part of a family in a way. And so that was the one thing that they did different. Like whenever I became, whenever I got adopted by them, bro, like they, they are Christians. So that was the first time that I actually saw people treating me regardless of my skin color, regardless of speaking lang- uh, the same language or not, regardless of like if I was tied up or no. Like literally, no, like without caring about anything, but just seeing me by a human. Somebody has been made in the image of God. You know what I'm saying? And they start loving me, bro. And without speaking the same language. I mean, how can you love somebody that don't speak the same language? 
like they try to and everything. But that's the cool part of it, bro. Like now that I'm a Christian, I, I read the Bible and it's like, Paul says that, like, hey, go preach the gospel. And if words need it, use them. Mm. And so like that, that was literally like that click with me whenever I was reading the word because I was like, they did it. I mean, they literally preached the gospel to me without words. And that's why like they showed me what really like adoption means. You know what I'm saying? Because whenever I'm in the Lord, that's what we're adopted into the kingdom of God. You know what I'm saying? And so the Lord, bro, like put me in it knowing that later on, hey, like right now I need you to understand the adoption here on earth because later on you're going to know, like it's going to make it easier for you to be adopted by me. You know what I'm saying? And so... Shout out like, to the Hodges, man. Yeah. Shout out to the Hodges yeah. family. Yeah. That's what's up. So yeah. am I to get this right? You've learned English in two years? I learned it in six months, bro. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was 14. I was like, I, I, started, I was like, slow again. <laughs> that, that felt like two, that felt like last year. You feel me? Yeah. I was like, okay, didn't speak English, no police yeah. yet. Yeah. And then, <laughs> here you are right now. Yeah. Like, get it yeah, in with bro. us. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Out, I, yeah. yeah, I learned it in six months, bro, but because, like, they put me in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, they literally, bro, like, the, the molding that they put into my life, bro, the leadership that they put into my life, it was... It was to the dot, bro. And that's like you asked the question, like what, what, yeah, what did uh, discipleship look like put into me? It was not giving up. That's like if I have to like put it down into one word, it's like don't quit. Regardless of who the one that you're discipleship, like doing discipleship on, don't quit. Endurance. Yeah, literally. Like you should stick with them. Mm-hmm. Like. Even if they punch, if they kick, if they bite, if they, whatever it is, don't quit. And that's what they didn't do, man. Like, all the people that have disciples, uh, disciple me and, like, walk with me and, like, literally show me the gospel, they didn't just told me about it and walked away. You know what I mean? They didn't just, like, like took me somewhere and walked away or took me to church and walked away. They, if they invited me somewhere, they came with me and sat next to me. And if I didn't know something, they were like, hey, it looks like you have a question. What's up? You know what I'm saying? And so that's what it looked like. And that's what, that's, that's what it changed my life, bro. And whenever I saw one of my mentors, literally that dude walks into a door and you know that he, that dude has the Holy Spirit. That, I mean, that man smiles for everything, bro. And he's a great smile. And I wanted that. And he started discipling me, bro. And yeah, and I was like, I don't know what the heck you have on you. If whatever drug it is, I don't know it because, like, I've never seen it. You know, you know it's what I'm saying? Hodges, Hodges? No, this is a uh, grand trial. Like, okay. is the yeah, is the is the guy that that disciple me like that? That's the one that baptized you too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, he's Indeed. the one, bro. And Shout out. Yeah. Shout out to Grant, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so I ask him, bro. Like, I I I legit ask him, what kind of drugs do you do? Like, I want some. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he was like, I got the Holy Spirit, man. And I was like, I don't know how I get it, but I want it. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, bro. But that's what that's what it looked like in my life, bro. Praise God, don't man. quit. Yeah, praise God. And I, I think I think it's very important because it's nothing wrong with evangelism. Like it's it's Mm-mm. it's encouraged. You yeah. know that is that's seed sowing, mm-hmm. right? Um, discipleship is tilling. Yeah, <laughs> it's the commission. Yeah, it's the pulling the weeds. Yeah, yeah. 
it's the uh, getting your hands dirty, getting pricked. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Switching out gloves, putting yep. on band-aids from the thorns. Yeah. You know, taking care of the mosquitoes and all the <laughs> bugs. So that's discipleship. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and it's important to make a distinction between evangelism and discipleship mm-hmm. because a lot of times most of us either know how to evangelize, but honestly have never been discipled. Yeah. Thanks. Bro, like that's one of the things that as I've been studying the Bible, bro, like I started, now I study the Bible, not wanting to know what is there for me, but knowing how Jesus lived life. How did he disciple people? You know what I'm saying? And the same thing with Paul. And the one thing, brother, like whenever Jesus was walking with his 12 disciples, regardless of how they acted up and everything, he didn't like send them home. You know what I'm saying? Because like, I, I mean, with Duke, uh, the, the guy that, the, yeah, man, like I shot, uh, I, work, uh, I work with a lot of like, like juvenile systems or like, uh, like 18 through anywhere from 15 through 22 years old. Like, oh, bro. Okay. So before you go, mm-hmm. I meet him at this, at this influencer retreat, et mm-hmm. cetera. And y'all know my love for Duke. Like that was, that was... <laughs> Oh, like my son, bro. Like, mm. I love that kid, man. Yeah. Not only were we connected through, like, just the heart of ministry, he actually met Duke. I, I disciple say, this, disciple him in a way. Yeah. <laughs> he actually yeah. met Duke. Yeah. Tell, tell a little bit about that. Because when he told me, I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, Duke. He said, he's like, wait, what's he look like? I was like, describe <laughs> him. He said, I you met him. You showed me a picture of like, him. Yeah. yeah. I showed you a picture. Yeah. He's like, yeah. That's him. I was yeah, like, yeah. no way that you yeah. know him, bro. Yeah. So tell yeah. me. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, Duke, when, so I, my parents, they have a ministry that is for guys that are getting out of juvie. Like literally you're getting out of juvie. You don't have another place. Like you're in, in probation or anything like that. You don't have a place to go. There is a, a house that is mainly like, it's family. Like people call it halfway house, but it's not a halfway house because it's, it's like family, you know what I'm saying? Like you come in, there's nine guys in there and you have brothers, it's family. Like you have a, a house, you have a room, you have a bed, your own bed, you have everything, bro. Like you don't have to worry about, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't have to worry about food, about money, about nothing, just about God and giving a chance to them to like reflect on what they've been through to pretty much take a break, relax and look life. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and there, like, we bring discipleship and we show them, like, how wrong it is the way that we grew up and the way that it can be. You know what I'm saying? And that's where Duke came in. And uh, I met him, bro, and, like, this huge dude. And from the moment that I met him, I mean, like, he had the same mindset that I had before I became a Christian. So, like, I literally, my mom or, like, other people that work in the ministry trying to get through this dude, and this dude not talking at all, bro. Just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, just like that. And then I was just like, bro, just get in the car. You're coming, you're coming with me. So I took Duke everywhere, bro. Like I had him with me literally like he was my little brother. Like I went to the store, he went with me. Like I went to anywhere meetings that I went to, he went with me. And after that, he started like open up. He yeah. started like talking yeah. because he started hearing like the way that I talk and everything in my life. And he was like, he was interested on it. You know what I'm saying? And I went and, and uh, some stuff that I, ha- I had to leave the state for some stuff and came back. And that's whenever he was, he was gone. And he, I don't know if he decided to leave. And I guess that's whenever he came to you. 
uh, afterwards because you were the one that brought him there mm -hmm. and then he came back to you. Yeah. And so, but I, I didn't know where he went. I had no contact with him afterwards. I tried to reach him, but yeah, and then that's whenever I met you. <laughs> I think he, you actually said that he mentioned me while you, he was with mm -hmm. you. Yeah, yeah, he said that there was somebody helping him like with the rapping because he, he likes to rap and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I would play beats for him in the car and he would start, start rapping. rapping. Yeah. That's dude. <laughs> yeah, that's bro, dude, yeah. Man. yeah. So Man, bro. Yeah, bro, bro it's, it's, it's crazy. And so when he told me that, I was like, man, God, God has a way of just bringing things full circle. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, bro, so the enemy, he started attacking me. So I went, after I got adopted, didn't become a Christian right away. Right, like I went four years after becoming adopted or getting adopted to where like I just literally kind of was learning the language, learning how to be part of a family in a way. And so I put everything like from the gangs and everything that I have done kind of to the side, right? And so like I started kind of focusing on these different things and that's whenever I became a, a professional athlete. And after becoming a professional athlete, like I start focusing just on like partying, like the fame, the money, like literally like just doing all this kind of stuff. And that's where the enemy started like hitting me in a different way. Hmm. I thought money was gonna be the answer of this gap that I had that I, that I had inside. It wasn't it. I thought fame was gonna be the gap. And like the one thing, bro, that like I feel many, I have met so many athletes, bro, or like rappers or anything that, uh, are in Christians and they go into that kind of life seeking something with a gap in here, right? Like seeking something and then you literally hit this wall like going like 150 miles an hour. Just hit the wall straight up because you're seeking a gap that only God can, can heal it. You know what I mean? Like it's like he's the only one. And that's why, that's why I find out and after after having money, fame, and all that kind of stuff, is where like the enemy brought, like remind me of all my past, like the gang and everything, and that's where putting all this together to where I was like, man, I'm just a mess. I have searched the world, literally, and I couldn't find it. I haven't found the one thing that is gonna satisfy me or that is gonna give me peace, and that's all I wanted, bro, peace. I just wanted peace and love, because I, I didn't know I had never had peace, not even in my mind. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I go to bed, bro, like I, I would go to bed and I would hear gunshots. I would like have flashbacks of like everything that I have done, people being dead or like me hurting people or anything. You know what I'm saying? So like I hadn't had peace in my mind for like 17 years, bro. And so seeking peace and love, it was the one thing that I was after. And having all this chaos in my mind, PTSD and everything, bro, it led me to literally like grabbing the gun. And this is like after, after me pretty much being in this Christian bubble, you know what I'm saying? And by not speaking about it. And that's the, you mentioned it early, like we live in a world where like if we cry in front of men, we, we feel ashamed. Mm -hmm. Like if we open up of like, man, I'm hurting, we feel ashamed. Like somebody we feel like there is no right for us to feel none of those feelings. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so I got taught uh, in the gangs. Therefore, like, I wouldn't speak about it. I would literally talk to people and everything, and I would say, yeah, I'm good. But in the inside, bro, like, I was thinking of how to take my life. 
You know what I'm saying? And so that's where the enemy took me, bro. The enemy took me to the point where like, even speaking about it wasn't gonna fix it anymore. That's what he, he made me believe. And the only way out, it was taking my life because I had tried everything else and it didn't work out. And January 31st, bro, not January 18th, uh, I grabbed the gun I was in the car outside my parents' house, bro. Like grabbed the gun, put it in my face, bro. And I was like, you know what? F everything, man, like I'm done. You know, and pulled the trigger, bro. And the bullet didn't go through it. And, and, and you know how to operate a gun. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean, I could, I don't know about now, it's been so long, but like at that time, bro, like I could break a gun with my eyes closed and I could put it together the same way. You know what I mean? You knew it so, was loaded. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing, like I pulled the trigger and it didn't, like, it didn't make the sound nothing. It just, boom. And I looked at it, look at the barrel and inside and the bullet was right there and then like grabbed it and pulled the trigger and the bullet went through it. And that's where I knew, bro, like that I was messed up. I knew that I needed to talk. I knew that I needed something. You know what I mean? Because I was like, man, like, dude, what, what else can I do? Yeah. And I went to, to a, a, a conference and this dude, Grant Trial, came into the conference and shared his testimony. How messed up he is by laughing about it. Enjoy, like, with joy in it. You know what I'm saying? And everything. And so I'm like, who the heck is this dude? And so that, that right there, bro, January 31st, pretty much two weeks after, is whenever I, I accepted the gospel, bro. And I moved from driving, being in the driver's seat into being in the passenger seat because that's, that was it. And I feel like a lot of the times, bro, like God is asking us just to give up, as you were saying at the beginning, just give up, right? Like if we put our focus on the kingdom, everything else is gonna be added. That's what Matthew talks about. Mm -hmm. And so that's what God wanted, wow. wanted me to do. He was like, Franklin, just focus on me, man. Like let me in the driver's seat and you're gonna see how everything else is gonna be taken away. It's how I, I'm gonna add the things that you need. And I didn't want it to, but I, I ended up doing that, man. And since then, the enemy has been attacking me every time, man. Like, I, I wish I can say, oh, I don't get the thoughts of like killing myself anymore. I, I don't get depression anymore. I don't get like anxiety anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like those thoughts are still calm. They are still real. But the thing is that I know who to send them to. You know what I'm saying? Like First Peter, bro, First Peter 5, 7 talks that like I should, like we should get our thoughts captured, right? And so like I do that and I have learned how to do that and just literally give them to, to God, leave them at the cross. That's what he's calling us to do, right? Leave them at the cross. And that's the thing, bro, like the enemy keeps, keeps coming at me, bro. And that's the one thing because I, I, I heard somebody, bro, I can't remember who he was, but he said it's so good, bro. He was like, you're never, the enemy only, is only gonna attack the ones that are problem to him. If he's attacking you, bro, he knows that you're doing something for the kingdom. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's the one thing, bro, Christian life, it isn't easy. And John wrote that, right? That in this world, we will have trouble. Yeah. And we only gonna have trouble if you're making, if you're leaving the Great Commission, mm -hmm. which we're talking about making disciples, yeah. right? Like if you're, if you're leaving that commission, you're gonna have trouble. But that's where the enemy, bro, like has been hitting me, has been trying to get me, bro, but he has no, no hold on my heart. You know what I'm saying? Like 
it's literally, bro, like I knocked him out and and that is is the end of the fight, bro. Like, amen. Yeah. So. Amen, amen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, have a, I have a question. Oh, for you. So, how long do you feel like it took, or or are you at a space where you don't walk around and experience fear anymore? Yeah, man, that's a good question. Like you don't look over your shoulder no more. Is that nah, right? bro. I don't. It how took long do you me. Feel like it took. It took me. Let me see. It took me about a year and a half, bro until I start letting people love me and learning how to love. Whenever, whenever I, I really understood the love of God, because the love, love, for the longest I thought it was a feeling, right? Like I thought I was gonna feel eventually how to love, like I was gonna learn how to love. But studying the word and everything, I, I learned that love is sacrificial, yeah. right? So whenever I learned that and I put it in my head, like, hey, love is sacrificial. Therefore, if I focus on God, on the kingdom, whatever else happens, it happens. You know what I'm saying? And that's whenever I start letting people love me. This was like a year and a half ago, bro. Yeah. Like, and so, or yeah, like a year ago, actually, yeah. I started letting people love me and started like to actually live, walk, loving people sacrificial right so even if i if i get out bro like if somebody comes behind me and shoot me i'm cool with it because i'm doing what the lord is calling me to do you know what i'm saying like i have gone places bro that like people have told me like hey don't don't do it you may get shot i'm like i bet that's where i'm going you know what i'm saying because i don't walk in fear no more bro but it took about about a year and really understanding what love truly means because whenever you love like that bro you're gonna love anybody, either that's family or just your brother in Christ or somebody that may get shot outside. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna, you see them through that love, the way that God sees us. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if that. No, that answers. You know. I, the reason why I ask that, I think a lot of times people that don't have our similar experiences, mm -hmm. kind of, especially in the church, they kind of glorify these testimonies mm -hmm. in a way where it's like. I just, I don't have a story. I don't, I didn't come from something like you. Mm. And so it's like, almost like, I, I've heard people actually tell me, like, yeah. I envy your story. Yeah. Like, I wish that I had a strong yeah. testimony yeah. of God's deliverance. Yeah. And, I, I, bro, I'm, I'm telling you, I've heard this a lot, bro. Yeah. And one of the things that I think people don't, <laughs> I think people don't recognize yeah, is, like, the battle that we got to go through. Like, you said Mentally. a year, bro, it took me two Mm -hmm. Two years. So imagine coming out of the streets. I got out of the penitentiary in 2012. Coming out of the streets and walking. And I, was, I was in a whole different state. I came. Mm -hmm. I, I went to the pen in Oregon. Came out here in 2012. Mm -hmm. For two years out here. I don't have no enemies. I don't know nobody yeah. out here. Yeah. But still, every time a car walked by me, yeah. in my head. Yeah. And I'm like having these dreams every single <laughs> night. As a believer, yeah. like, like walking yeah. with the Lord. And it's like, man, there's a reality to some of the battles and some of the darkness yeah. that we came out of. Yeah. And I think people just don't really like recognize mm -hmm. that this is, I think a lot of times people think like, yo, we get saved and it's just all, it's good, yeah. but we all go through these battles. Yeah. Man, and it's a, it's a day to day. The yeah. Lord will deliver us. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. Amen. That's what I was going to say to you. Like, mm -hmm. bro, all of those experiences that we have, that we have, the longer we walk with the Lord, like there's freedom that yeah comes. it is and there, there's a it peace is. that I, I sometimes i tell some of my partners that are still banging and stuff i'm like bro you don't know what it feels like mm -hmm. out here, bro i'm like free yeah. i don't have to i do not have to own yeah. i don't own a gun i haven't yeah. had a gun since Me for, for this is mine years. bro 
I haven't had a gun for 11 years. I went from yeah. not being able to go anywhere without a gun yeah. to, like, I haven't had a gun for 11 yeah. years. And yeah. It's like there's a level of freedom that I can walk down this street and I do not fear. Yeah. I don't have any fear in me. Amen, bro. Amen. And remember, you remember on the podcast when I was talking about that. It was, it was to the point, just for, like, just to, like, reiterate it. It was to the point where once I started, like, walking in freedom and, like, actually being able to feel myself without having the PTSD control mm -hmm. me. I started to experience um, anxiety attacks, mm -hmm. and it came from my therapist told me I had I had lived in a constant state of PTSD. Yeah. I, that was the state that I was in. So when I started to like walk in a level of freedom, the the freedom was like a, a strange feeling to mm -hmm. me. So it triggered me to make me feel like something was going on with me. Yeah. Something was wrong. So yeah. I'm like, what the heck is this? Feeling? Yeah. Like, it's like I'm feeling everything. Yeah as before where I had this wall put up that nothing would get in. Yeah. And it's just like, bro, this is a, this is a real, it's real, real journey, yeah. bro. It's yeah. Real it is wall, real, man. bro. Yeah. 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 And that's one of the things, bro. Like whenever I feel like I got out of it so fast because I mean, I went from literally almost getting killed, bro. Like my life was on the line to where like I had to make a decision. You know what I'm saying? And like God used it that way. You feel me? Like he used it that way. And so whenever I became a Christian, I went full in, bro. Like I wasn't just like wishy-washy about it. I was like, I'm going all in. You know what I'm saying? And I started studying like Paul's life because that's my homie. You know what I'm yeah. saying? That's yeah. my homeboy, bro. Yeah. And so I started, started studying his life in Philippians, bro. He says that doesn't matter if he's in, in prison or whatever he is, as long as the gospel is being shared, he's good. He's Gucci. You feel me? And like, and then he says in, in, in Corinthians as well that he prays, bro, to God to take the torn out of his eye, right? And he says that like all that is the, the things that are keeping him from sharing the gospel, right? From preaching the word, from following God. And so but at the end, he ended up saying that if God is not going to take it away, that he's cool with it. But glory. just, yeah, to still let him pre uh, praise him. And yeah. that's the one thing, brother, like I did so much therapy. I tried to, like, I paid so much money, bro, to get that Same, out, of, out of myself. Yeah. And after I read that, bro, I was like, you know what? Like God is, God is the, the greatest one. Yeah. And I'm, I just got to kneel to him and I got to cry out to him and just ask him like to either take it away or to teach me, to give me that freedom to where like I can go to bed and be able to rest, to be able to like walk around and feel free, not to like look over my shoulders or anything, right? And so like, and I start praying that, bro, like literally, like I would cry out, bro. Like I would hit the ground, bro, like mad because I wanted free from it. And that was the one thing, bro. Whenever I became a Christian and somebody, I read Matthew, right? Matthew 7, that it says like, I seek and knock and you will find me. Yeah. And then in Jeremiah, it says the same thing. Like if you ask, you will find, if you ask, you would get answers and all that kind of stuff. And so I told my friend, the guy that was discipling me, I was like, so you're telling me that if I do this, it will, like, God wants me to do it. And he was like, yeah. I was like, I bet. You better, you better hold on because I'm gonna be banging on doors. You know what I'm saying? And I'm gonna be asking questions. And that was one of the things, bro, like I wasn't ashamed of like banging on doors. I wasn't ashamed of asking questions. I was like, man, if you think that I'm dumb, I don't care. It's, it's for my good, bro. Like, you know the one that is sleeping in bed, and like that is in bed, and is thinking about killing yourself, putting a bullet in here, because your worst enemy is not outside, but it's in here. You feel me? 
And so like, that's where, bro, like, I was like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to be able to be free from it, bro. And that's where, man, God delivered me, bro. And I mean, as I say early, like, I still struggle, like the, the thoughts are still come, but they got no hold on me, bro. Like, and it's, it's interesting because we like, what I've learned, you know, and, and I, haven't, I haven't done like years of therapy, but what I've done, it's, it's almost like, it's like a detox. But it's, it's tough that as much as therapy is encouraged, when you talk about what a detox process does, you literally start to experience sickness from the withdrawals. And your withdrawals can come from withdrawals of anger, withdrawals of bitterness, withdrawals of having that wall. And then it's like, hey, let's just peel this layer back. You peel that layer back, now you're exposed. And you don't know what it's like to walk around exposed. That first month, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah, everybody, my, I, I've never felt so miserable but after going to therapy. It was after therapy I felt the most miserable in my life. And I'm just like, yo, what is this? Yeah. I felt like I was just walking around with a dark cloud over me all the time. Yeah. When reality was, it was always there. I just never looked up. Yeah, bro. Yeah. You know, and now you're telling me, hey, look up. And I'm like, nah, like, hey, how are you feel? I'm good, you know what I'm saying? I'm straight, you know, tell me about nothing. But it's, I remember having a meeting with my mentor and as I'm sitting here just unpacking and unpacking and, and things, I'm like, hey man, like, I started going to therapy. Like everybody been telling me, everybody been saying, go to therapy, go to therapy. I said, I feel terrible, yo. I like, like, when does it get better? And he looked me in the eyes and said, Street, would you be cool if it didn't get better? He said, what would your perspective be? He said, because what you've been doing is you've been building this nice little sandcastle your whole life, and you fell in love with this little sandcastle, and right across the shore is an actual building you can go into. But you're so in love with the thing that you've built that you're not willing to just let it get washed up by shore and actually go to where you're supposed to be. And he said that, what you start to learn while you're doing therapy and unpacking is, is that it's not that you're actually getting over it. You're just getting stronger to endure. And that's, 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 that's literally the James, James pass. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, endurance. And let that endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. For endurance to have its full effect, you got to go through some stuff. I'm sitting there like, man, you know, and I feel better now, but I was like, like, I just, I, I feel for the people that have been pushed into therapy without the understanding that it doesn't get better. And it's, it's important to do that check-in, to do that, yo, I heard you started this, man, and I remember I was the one that actually told you to start doing this. How do you, like, how do you feel? You know, because I, I remember how it felt when I actually started learning what my dirt was like and everything that came from the storm actually went up shore and I saw all my trash just sitting here. Yeah. And then every, you just literally feel exposed from everyone, man. So, man, I, 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 man, shout out to y'all brothers, man, for doing the hard work, man, and being able to literally share it. So, like, because I've been in therapy five years. Uh-huh. Bro, it's a bunch of money, a bunch of time, right? Like, <laughs> bro, a lot. And I would say that I had that same experience probably the first three years. And then last year, 
like a year and a half ago, my therapist told me that I no longer needed to come as consistently. And bro, I feel I feel so much different. I, like the level of freedom and like mental maturity and emotional maturity that I'm walking in is like on a level that I've never experienced before. So like it is there is a period where it is like it feels like that, but I promise you it gets better through the journey and through trusting the Lord with the process, right? Yeah. There's things that for sure God has used my therapist to bring up for me to really mm -hmm. address. So that unpacking part is the worst part of therapy. Like that, that let pulling out all that trauma because you're you're basically reliving a lot of different yep. experiences. You're reliving those feelings and those emotions. You but never as you unpack that stuff, bro, and start like it, it drops off, bro. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't. There's a lot of different things that like had a grasp on me when I mm -hmm. first started therapy. That my therapist is like, oh, how you feel about this? And I'm like, bro, I don't even experience that anymore. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's 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 a journey, bro. It's a it's a process. Depending on how much trauma you got and all that stuff, it can take a while, but it does get better, bro. That's good. That's good. That's good. All right. Don't be fooled. I'm not special. This is the part of the podcast where you let the live studio audience come in and share your questions, comments, concerns, or the smoke. But beware because we do keep a gas mask. So if the live studio audience wants to join us at the hot seat, please do so and come and ask your questions, comments, concerns. Here comes the therapy. Hey, here she is. Here to come and correct all my incorrect yes, terms I, I used. Um, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> no, I think I want to touch on. Um, typically with my clients, I do tell them when they start, it's going to suck. Like it feels really bad because you're bringing up all this stuff that your your brain has repressed or you have suppressed. Um, and you work with younger clients too. I work with younger clients. I did my internship at the juvenile facility, um, specifically with boys who were gang members. And so you pull them out of an environment. And the program that I worked with, like they'd already gone through court, so they'd been sentenced here. It's focused on family counseling, if they show up, individual and group therapy. But at first, you know, like you, it's a lot of rapport building. Like you said, when it comes to like, discipling you can't just be like read the bible let's go like if you it's good to know like street code and to have them feel safe right because mm. like life is not safe and then they start opening up and there's even things that you can't share because you're you know in a gang and also juvenile facility like don't tell on yourself right but so much would come up that they didn't even first of all a lot of them, when they're gangbanging, are on drugs. They're on drugs, or they're doing things to suppress things so they're not fully conscious. And then when all these things start to come up, it feels so much worse because you start to realize, like, wait, my parents, it's not loving for my parents to put me in a gang environment. It's not loving for my mom to give me, like, a face tat that shows that I'm gang-affiliated. Like, I've killed all these people. Like, I'm going to sleep dreaming about these people, and they don't even see them as people. But when you start to heal, then you realize, I killed someone who was like me. And so it gets very, it gets very ugly and very dark. Um, and even on like less extreme levels, like you go to therapy, you have some trauma, it comes up, it can feel horrible because you're processing for, for such a long time, right? Mm -hmm. But like Dre said, if you were consistent with it, it does start to feel better. Some things may never go away. Yeah. Some things you may heal from. Um, 
but I think it was it was really difficult to work at the juvenile facility and also difficult, but just to see like them realize I'm a kid. Like I'm a kid. I'm not supposed to be killing people. I'm not supposed to be like gangbang. Like these people really don't care about me. This is what love is. So I don't know. Both of those things kind of stuck out to me. And then us talking about the like therapy can do so much. But then even with the population I work with now, they're not you know juveniles. Not juveniles, but in the juvenile uh, population. But it's like, I can give so much and you can learn so many skills, but if you don't know Jesus and you don't know the worth and the value you have in the Lord, there's always something Listen, missing. Yeah. You know? it's, it was crazy even before the podcast started. I'm, I'm being told that the average age of kids that join gangs is nine or eight? Eight? I was shocked. Like, even I did juvenile probation, the juvenile facility and alternative school. And a lot of it was like substance use counseling, like helping with addiction. Um, and I'd be like, well, when did you start taking drugs? And I'd be like, seven. Like, seven years old on drugs. That's, and that's, that's similar to y'all stories, right? That's wild. Because for, for, for me, I'm, I'm literally like thinking back. We were all just claiming Bloods and Crips in, 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 in junior high, just cause, or in elementary, just because it was something to do. You know, it was like, oh, you like wearing red? I'm blood. You like wearing blue? You're a Crip. It's like, oh, man, what do you, which, which one you with? I'm like, I don't know. I think I'm a purple. What's that? <laughs> which one is that? I'm like, they got me. I ain't know about the Grape Street Crips back then. <laughs> Neighborhood. I'm like, no, I don't know that. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but it's, it's, it's just interesting to, to hear that, like, what we were playing about, like, y'all were living at that age. And that's just so, and, and, and what they did was they offered community. And so when you talk about, like, like unpacking, especially for a therapist, what is it like doing the, hard work on the inside knowing what their environment's like on the outside does it just feel like a band-aid it doesn't feel like a band-aid it just doesn't feel like enough and so I have to remind myself like okay I'm a therapist but I tried to look for like resources because now we're having these conversations and it's like I don't want to go back to game banging but it's like you don't have a choice, have a choice. where are you going to go yeah. and so even like looking up resources is hard when they're minors because you can't just leave home, you know? Yeah. And so I think that was the hardest part because I'm like, okay, what have we learned? What can you hold on to? Okay, you got this gift of drawing. You can be a tattoo artist. You just take this different route. So I try to give them as many resources and leave them with like who you are and your identity and like you coping skills when you're angry you don't have to shoot everyone so you see the progression even there because you get triggered in the environment I remember one time playing taboo with them and I hit the buzzer behind a kid and he almost punched me and he was like you cannot do that like behind me you know so just kind of learning what's a safe space what's not and a lot of times it was just them learning what a safe relationship looked like with an adult who loves them so um, it didn't feel like a Band-Aid. It just, it was like, okay, we're going to do all this work. That's a hard part working with minors. We're going to do all this work and send you back to the same environment. If your parents are not doing the work, it's going to be very difficult to, to stay on track. So, 
Well, praise God for what you do. I'm proud of you, black man. Right, I would, so I would also say, it's not the right like, the, the age limit stuff, man, it's crazy because, so how old were you when you stopped, walked away from the game? So I was 23 uh, when I got out of the penitentiary. That is very rare. Or you, you will not hear a lot of testimonies of people our age walking yeah. away. From. Normally, if it's a, a gang member that walks away from a gang, they're normally like in their 40s, 30s, late 30s. So this is like really rare to experience because of what, what you said, right? So like your experience, you left where you were at. Same thing with me, bro. Like when I got out of the penitentiary, I came here. If I never came out here. I don't know that I would have been able to change. I probably would have, because I wouldn't have been able to be in my city without a gun. Wouldn't that, bro? There's no way I could have been in my city without a gun. I had to leave that environment in order to um, create an environment that I can actually change. So it's hard, because it's like you got these kids that you want to do better for, but these parents want to do better for, but there is nowhere that to actually take them to, to, to change their environment. And so then it's like the, the level of, pure influence is like bro there it's so easy to say okay i'm gonna do good because even as I, I went to jail multiple times when i would get out there was times where i was like man i want to do better but then i get out and i'm like sit down for two days and then the homie's like hey bro you gotta come roll and it's like oh man i i, I ain't got no choice you know what i mean so it's like it's hard to to actually create that change and without shifting your environment and that's even with that's with anything that we yeah. do right it's like if yeah. you if you don't have a gang background and you're trying to get away from drinking and partying you have to create a space and change that environment in order to get away from that or you're going to keep getting drawn back into that same situation so yeah, yeah i definitely back that up bro like that's something that like all the all the kids that or like everybody that i uh counsel now is like that's one of the first things that i that i tell them is like in order for you to get out of the pit that you're in it, you gotta climb out of it, or you gotta go out of it. And because that's literally, if you don't, then if you don't change your environment, you won't be able to make it. Yeah. Never, and not just your environment, but like your people. And that was the one thing that I started getting a lot of like, not enemies, but a lot of like of my old friends start like looking at me different and they were like, okay, but like now that you're a Christian, you can't be with us, right? But it was like, hey, for the moment, I can't, man. I'm yeah. sorry, but I can't. Like, I gotta get better. I need new friends. I need to start like hanging out with people that are Christians. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people ask me like, oh, do you go back to the gym? Like, are you still fighting or anything like that? I want to, bro. Like, I want to. I mean, trust me, like, I want to be hitting that bag, like, all the time. Mm -hmm. Because I actually like fighting. No, not just for the bad, but, like, I, I enjoy it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But in order for me to be able to walk away, bro, from what is pulling me backwards, I have to, I have to cut it off. Like, I had to completely, bro, like, cut that off and just walk away. Yeah. And without looking back. Because if I'm looking back, then I'm still giving in. You know what I'm saying? And so what you said, bro, is like change the environment, change your friend group and everything and make a, create a space. And you like things are going to start changing and keep keep God in the center, man. Alicia, can you talk a little bit about the importance of literally adjusting your typical environment when it comes to addiction? Um, it, whether it be like changing the way the way your couch is facing or like cleaning your room, et cetera, things like that. 
Um, I've just heard like uh, a few therapists talk about literally when you go home, if things look the same, your mind's like kind of already wired to act the same. And so by shifting the actual physical landscape, sometimes it can actually help in assisting it. I've never heard that. Oh, uh, nice. Oh, I'm indeed. Take that with me. But as far like addiction, like substance use. Oh, yeah. everything. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, I guess addiction in general. Addiction is a whole nother beast. So like. Changing the environment, doing the work, like it's it's almost like like let's say you have an addiction to marijuana. The way your brain like shifts and chains when you're taking substances, like it'll mistake marijuana for dopamine, which is what gives you like energy and like makes you feel good, and then your brain will stop producing it. Try to stop, and then you feel really depressed, and then you start again, right? So it's like a life style change needs to happen like you need to be around accountability you need to not be able to hit up your plug you need to be able to call somebody when you feel this type of way you need to be able to implement like healthy highs you can go work out like you need to it's just it's very difficult it's very difficult and it's like you could be moving forward and something triggers it and you fall back and I think when it comes to like gang activity it's hard when you're growing up and these are your people and this is your family and it's familiar so it's like I don't do this anymore but there's something about it that is addicting especially when there's always trauma and always stress your brain gets used to being in fight or flight all the time everything else seems boring even like when you look at take it to relationships where like people are like why do good women always like bad men or why do you know like some of that is because if you've been um, shown or you know like let's say you had a father who was abusive and you've gotten to all these toxic relationships it's not so much that you wake up every day and you're like I want to be mistreated but your brain goes into the same cycle of addiction where it becomes addicting because it's setting off like those reward systems so it's so it's very difficult it's very hard to like shift out of yeah the mind is interesting it's 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 neuroception no you you know the term neuroception so essentially like what you when you have certain experiences your brain wires those experiences and connects them to different like feelings and emotions so if every time i walk through a door someone slaps me in the back of the head then every time I walk through the door, I'm going to be expecting that, right? So it's that same, same thought process. When we go through these experiences, like we're creating these memories and our, and our brain is getting wired to think this is what it's supposed to be. So it's like if you're in a relationship and he's not doing this to you no more, you don't feel like he's loving you, right? Or, you know what I mean? Whatever the case yeah. may be, it's, it's, it's toxic, bro. And, and, and it's life. crazy because as he's saying, the brain wires itself. It, it almost sounds uh, metaphysical, but literally, it physically changes. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Like, it, 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 the pathways and how the brain is shaped starts to change. But the beauty is, it can be reversed. Yeah, it can. You know, you actually can be healed. And so when we talk about, like, healing, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's so crazy. I've, I've, I've heard stories of people that understand the complexities of anxiety, depression, etc. And then literally... They go to, uh, whether it be a deliverance ministry, they hear a sermon, they're being prayed for, they're being healed. And it's like, yo, I don't know why. I have a friend, you know, and, and she's, she, her whole testimony was about depression. And she said, man, I was healed of depression. And I'm like, man, that's, to me, I'm like, yo, 
for like God allowed her mind to be blessed and rewired in that moment. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it was not, not, not I'm not saying that's the, the story for everyone, but to know that like, like it's possible. And then God can actually do a miraculous work at times to where like there, there, if, if you took a picture of the brain, uh, before and after you literally see a change, you literally see a difference. And so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful in knowing that all we have to do is be there to recreate patterns. And that's what discipleship is. It's long suffering and endurance to know that, hey, when you start walking through this door, I'm actually going to put my shoulder over you. So you know that you're not going to, and, and, and then you're going to actually feel the comfort of having someone else touch you and that touch not be a threat. That touch not be connected to abuse. It's just love. It's a covering. You know what I'm saying? And man, so I'm, 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 I'm hopeful in knowing that the work that y'all are doing, you know, and, and the work that will continue to be done for those that uh, work in juvenile tent centers and, and do social work and, and even, man, all of the black women I know on the front lines, you know, doing the work that you're doing. Man, thank you so much because um, these kids need it. And I know it's, it's tough on y'all. It is it's so tough on y'all. But I'm so thankful at the fact that we have a lot of people willing to lift. You're, you're loving them. Cause you're sacrificing, yeah. you're sacrificing so much for them, and them seeing that, a lot of times they they don't even know how to appreciate it or know what appreciation even looks like until later on, yeah. you know. And it's it's such a blessing hearing all the testimonies of all the kids that hit me up ten years down the line. I'm, it's crazy saying that now. It's like a decade later. Like man, thank you for what you did ten years ago, yeah. and I'm like, wow, whatever I did in that week time of you knowing me. Or, or months time you knowing me that sowing that seed constantly never left and it finally produced the harvest. You know? So, man, praise God. Oh, we got here. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Good sir. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm Roderick Hawkins, um, and I, I, I almost didn't come today, but I forced myself to come, and it's crazy because I uh, I mean, I know I know you, but you probably don't know I've been a juvenile PO for Dallas County for 15 years. Uh, so when I'm hearing all this and everything about the juvenile, which is my expertise, like that's what I did, that's what I study. I study youth, I study the patterns, I study, like in my time, in my 15 years, I know everything that they talked about, probably the reasoning behind it, even the, the discipleship when you was talking about from the street standpoint, right? The crazy thing is, especially here in America, when you're being discipled by your gang, your big homies, right? It's all for them. It's not for you. Because when you get caught with that gun and you 12, you getting a slap on the wrist. You getting it, so everything they're doing, they're saying, hey, I'm gonna use you to be my crash dummy. But it's gonna appear as love. It appears it come off as love, but it's definitely, it's not love at all, you know. Um, so the environment thing I, I did, that was the main thing I wanted to talk about. It was because people don't understand how much these kids want to change. And I always tell people, I, a bad kid, I could work with a bad kid all day. Because they, they, it's something in them that won't change. An entitled kid, that's a whole different ball game. Whole different ball game. But a bad kid, they want to change. 
you can do, you can pour into them, you can do everything. But like you say, once they go back into that environment, if that environment has not changed, and if that environment is detrimental to them, they're going to be the same. They're going to go back to their old ways. And people will look at them and be like, well, you, you haven't changed. You're not, you're not different or you just went back to how you are. But they don't understand the circumstances. I remember when I first became a PO, uh, fresh out of college, you know what I'm saying? And I'm thinking, I grew up in Oak Cliff. I had a, a hard life. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, man, you got a choice. You got this. But the more I got them fouls and I started to see that everybody was eight years old when they start smoking. 80% of my caseload over, over 15 years, 85%, every time I have a caseload, have been molested when they were little. So I got 12-year-old girls, 11-year-old girls, that's full-blown prostitutes. That's, and I'm not talking, I'm talking the bottom, the, the bottom chick. I'm talking about they running the system. So... Is people, I think a lot of time, parents, adults are ignorant to what these kids know and how these kids are moving, but sometimes they're forced into that so young and it's really their life, it's their reality. Yeah. And people don't think like, no, they 11, they 12. No, they living like that. Like it, it's very real for them. And like I said, when I see them files, man, you, you get to see, and, I'm, and I, when I do assessments, you hear everything they go through. And it's like, how do, it's almost to a, to a point, it's like, oh, well, they were stealing, they robbing, right? Man, you can't do that. But then you look at everything, their circumstances, their life, they don't have nothing. Um, you know, they've been passed around. And it's almost as if you understand why. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I understand now you're trying to show them a better way. However, they go through it. Very like it's it's serious, you know what I'm saying. So I did. That's what I want to touch on, really, because that's over the years. And then I started my program, which is to deal with adults and teach them how to deal with these kids. Because when the kids walk in the door, you don't know what they carrying. You don't know. I, I I mean, they come in. They may have been fine two days ago, but now they come in here and they smell bad or they got an attitude. Well, the lights off at the house. They don't have no water. So, and now you want to fuss at them or get on them about something else. Like, they got real issues that's going on. So, it's not about being passive. It's just about understanding and building rapport so that inconsistency, that was the last thing, and I'm, I'm going to stop. But it's the consistency with anything, with discipleship, with all that. It's the consistency of continuing to be there because most people who have that where they're in the streets or they're living that type of life, they don't have consistency. So it's like, hey, be consistent no matter what. And I think one of y'all was saying that like, even if I'm here and I know you're supposed to be here in an hour, but you're an hour late. And I'm like, hey, well, I'm here. You know what I'm saying? You know I'm, I was here. Yeah. So we may have to try again, but I was here. So you yeah. can't, your excuse can't be he wasn't here. Yeah. yeah. So. That's good, bro. That's good. Man, um, it's and, and, and literally what you're talking about is grace. Yeah. And I, th I think it's tough when we tend to apply God's deliverance of us and use that standard with others. When it's like, it's like, man, I remember when God put me through that, so here's what we're going to do with you. And it's like, Man, and now mind you, the, 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 the beauty is you're understanding the lesson, how it impacted you, but there is a, 
law that he gives and it is beneficial for the land. But the way he talked to individuals, it was almost like, yeah, we know what the law says, but you are somebody that is guilty of committing adultery. And I'm going to talk to you like a person. Even to the extent where as a woman, she's like, I'm a woman and I'm a Samaritan. And you sitting here even having a conversation with me. And it's like, yes, absolutely. And every individual encounter that Jesus had, there was conversion. Because he understood people in the midst of the laws for a person. You know, it's like, yo, you're an individual. And so as we look at these kids and literally do the file work and say, not what are you, but how did you get to become one? What what is the how within the who? Because when we figure out the how, you'll start to understand, man, I get it. I wonder what I would have done if I was in your shoes. And that's what we got to start thinking. Because it's, it's easy to look at a man stealing, breaking in somebody's house. It's like, yo, tell your story without telling the background. I remember I broke into somebody's house. And I stayed there for two weeks, in and out. And it's like, dad, yo, that's kind of crazy. Did you go to jail? You a thief? It's like, did you take anything? It's like, I was going to die if I stayed outside because it was so cold. And all I knew was this one house. And imagine what it's like being somebody expecting to get justice. He said, if they would have shot him, he would have understood it. No police, no police. If the man of the house would have shot him, he would have he understood. What else do you do? You protect what's yours. You broke into my environment. You're over here. I have the right as an American to give you full justice. But instead of justice, what they did was they called somebody that spoke the language he spoke just so they can have a translation to understand his story. And once they got the story, they showed grace enough to say, hey, welcome to our home. You got a taste of it. Now let's give you a meal. Let's actually, let's actually do life with you. Because now that we know the why, we can start dealing with the what. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and it's, it's so beautiful. You know, I always, it's, it's funny just seeing people talk from a governmental level, a political level, making all these laws and stuff like that. And, and it's like, it's like, <laughs> Talking about the hood, talking about, you know what I'm saying, the woke ideology. I'm just like, fam, the people that do that never been in the hood. Yeah. I guarantee. And if they visited, it was an in and out. Yeah. A little evangelized. They didn't never do life there. Because people I know that do life there, especially white people that do life there, they don't talk like that. Yeah. Because it's an empathy that lives there. Mm -hmm. And so when, 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 it's, it's, it's so beautiful hearing your heart to empathize, man. Hearing your heart to be like, man, I know these kids. But I know these, it's that right. gnosko no. Like, I actually love these kids. I have a relationship with them. And I have the heart to actually do the inner work. And the inner work takes a lot out of you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, so praise God for you being able to do the work, man. And um, in the midst of that, bro, so how do you get your refill? Uh, man, I got a strong brotherhood. That's you good. know what I'm saying? Indeed. Uh, I pull a lot into my wife. <laughs> she probably, I think at first it started out as like an interesting thing to her to hear some of the stories, you know what I'm saying, that, that I come across. But, I mean, I have a strong Christian brotherhood. Let me say that. Now, I got a strong brotherhood of fellas that, you know, I do life with. You know what I'm saying? So, 
that's how I get my refill. But it's to be honest, I'm I don't never feel like I'm really running on empty when it's that's with good. that. You that's know what good. I'm saying? Because that's my true passion. You know good. what I'm saying? So it's like I can go forever. Like, you know, at least that's how I feel when it comes with youth and trying to get these kids on the right path and, and get them um you know, to, to understand that it's more to life. You know what I'm saying? And, of course, I sprinkle in my, my faith in it. You know what I'm saying? But you that's the fine line with work. Sure. You know For what sure. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But that's how I get my refill. Like I say, my brotherhood and, and the, the ones that surround me that, that love me. You know what I'm saying? Indeed. Indeed. Is there any uh, personal story you could share about um, kids who you've met that started game banging, et cetera, or you, you saw that wanted to come out. Cause you, you talk about the desires, like, man, these kids want to change. Right. Like, is there any personal story or like stories you can collectively say, like, man, like, like not only do they want to change, I actually saw the change. Yeah. Oh yeah. But when it's, it's a lot where they actually change and a lot of times it's not immediate. You know what I'm saying? So the the main thing, that's another thing with discipleship is you got to understand you plant a seed a lot of time. So, yeah, you've been consistent, but you plant that seed and building that foundation. You know what I'm saying? So I have, I've, I've had kids that's been deep, deep in the streets. Like, I'm talking about very deep. Like, they done did some stuff that's been on the news and, you know, some of this stuff that people hear about on the daily, but... Um, it's a page that I follow, it's Texas Latino page. I know it's probably people in follow, but every time I see a mugshot, it's a lot of them I, I know. But then it's also success stories that I see that come across my social media that's the ones I know as well, you know what I'm saying? So it's a lot of, and, and I get those calls, man. I still talk to whether men now or grown women from back in 2009 when I started and you know, 2010, and I still keep in touch with, and they yeah. find me, you know, and they, hey, Mr. Hawkins, I'm doing good. And they always want you to know because good. they understand that your expectation of them starts to mean a lot to them. You know what I'm saying? So uh, some of their corrective action is, I don't want to disappoint you. And then I, I get them to understand it's not disappointing me. It's about you building your character and you, you doing what you're supposed to do. Um, but within that, you lose a lot too. You know what I'm saying? So it's not, it ain't all gravy. You know what I'm saying? I have kids, I've been like, again, 15 years, I ain't seen plenty of my kids get killed. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, one particular story, I'll be real quick. I had this kid, I had him for like three years. So I, I got him when he was 13. So no, he was, it was four years. So I got him when he was 13, and he just, he wouldn't do right. You know what I'm saying? But he was always respectful to me. And it got to a point when he was doing wrong, he'll let me know before I found out. Like, he'll, he'll call me and be like, man, I messed up. You know, this and this and that, and I'm going to get it on track. So, finally, he just said, forget it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to do it no more. So, lost contact, and I say, uh, he called me, and he was crying. And he was just like, I don't want to do this no more. I just want to turn myself in. I want to get right. So I was like, hey, man, wherever you at right now, come, come to me or whatever I need to do, come to you. You know what I'm saying? And he was like, all right, I'm just calling my mama, but I'm going to call you right back. And when he hung up the phone, something told him it was like, he ain't, he not going to call back. You know what I'm saying? And then two, that was a Friday. Then Monday, his mom called me at like 6 in the morning. So... 
I already knew something was wrong. So when I picked up the phone, she was crying. She was like, yeah, he just got, he got shot um, over the weekend. He got shot 10 times. And I was like, 10 times? And then she started telling me, like, who did it? Which was another kid that I've had. And it wasn't even his beef, which was crazy. He just seen him, got scared that the dude may retaliate, and shot him 10 times, no questions asked, at 2 o'clock at a corner store up not far from here in Carrollton. So, um, and like I say, for him, I, I heard it in his heart like he wanted to. I just think he was scared. And it's, those are the ones that I hold on to because it's like you was almost there. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you got to take that. With dealing with kids, with dealing with discipleship in general, you going you have to take those losses, and sometimes they're not all losses, but you know it may not be right now. Like I said, they'll come back around in maybe two or three years. It may be ten years. You know. Yeah, yeah, man. It's it's um. Especially like the stories like like Jonah and and and, and David. I always wonder. What if David's story ended after he committed adultery, you know? And the, the beautiful part is, it'll still preach. Jonah never really got the opportunity to be shown as the person that changed. And he's still called a prophet, one of the major prophets. And we use that story to talk about how God will use you as long as you're in the right position. And so for me, man, understanding that when it comes to working with youth, man, like after working in Village Oaks, all the youngins that I had to do the balloon liftings for and the candlelight vigils for and um, just too many names, bro. Yeah. Too many names. And it's tough when you got to preach at the funeral or you got to speak to people in the midst of that and you can't give that success story. You can't give the story of beautiful redemption. Yet knowing that this is an opportunity to talk about God's sovereignty. God in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the nonsense, especially the kids that had nothing to do with anything, innocent bystanders. And for me, uh, what, what I've been learning is in the midst of the trials, the, the things that have led them to be in the place where they had ended up getting killed or ended up being involved in all these things, Man, I know God considers that. And I, I, God is considering their stories in the midst of their position. And I, for me, knowing how God has treated my life, I know he's gracious. You know, so the encouragement I do have is that as they are getting caught and go to prison, um, having to go through trials and end up, having him be murdered or killed or whatever happens on the streets. I'm like, the first thing my mom told me, I remember I was going to shoot a podcast when I found out Duke died. And I still ended up shooting the podcast. I don't know how, like, 
but my mom called me and I'm just, I'm bawling. I'm like in another room just crying. I'm just like, man. And she called me and said, he'll never have to go through that pain anymore. Like his pain is finally done. And my mom knows the work I did with Duke for sure. And it's interesting how she even encouraged the fact that the Lord had him. And, I, and, and for me, I know the times where the first time he got shot when I was around him, because he got shot multiple times before that. He got all sorts of bullets and stuff like that. But he ended up calling me from the, the, the hospital bed and was telling me all these scriptures he was thinking about as he's, in the, as, he's in the, as, as he's in the hospital bed getting drugged up and things like that. And I could tell he's on drugs, but he quoting scriptures, you know what I'm saying, high as hell. But, um, and and I'm, I'm sitting there like, man, he's like, I finally get it. I finally understand it. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, man, it just reminds me that, you know, God, God can still use every story for his glory. Every story for his glory, even if they're not a success story. But God wants it to be a success. God actually desires that you be benefited, that you live a life that is provided and a life that is free of anxiety, free of depression, free of all these things. And it is us aligning in those paths to make sure we have those stories. But even if we do stray, God can still use us in a way. <laughs> like, and that, for, for me, it's an encouragement to know that, like, hey, these kids weren't destined to be in gangs. That's just what happened. You know, we, we can't say that, oh, this was your destiny. No, sometimes we end up going away from what God calls us to in the past that is actually most beneficial for us, but God can still use you in the midst of that. And now we're literally using um, the way our pastor said today, our whales to tell the story. Like the thing that delivered you to preach this message, the thing that has you smelling fishy <laughs> is, is the same thing that people are going to be shocked by and say, man, I can relate to that because this man is crazy over here preaching about our destruction. So let's change. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's, it's beautiful even hearing you know, y'all talk about your whale stories publicly, talk about all the trauma y'all went through and all the things that y'all did on the streets. It's like, man, because there's going to be a kid that might just see this and be like, man, I can relate to that. I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's real. I wanted to touch on something that you said. So, like, the the aspect of love, and you were talking about how, like, sometimes big homies are actually just using you. Man, I feel like as a kid that doesn't know what real love feels like, it is love. Yeah. Like, bro, I know for a fact and, and felt that my big homies loved me. <laughs> because... But I'm riding with, like, I, I got big homies that I've done bids with that I've, like, we put our life on the line together, right? None of us, in the, the, from the big homies to the young homies, none of us understood what real love was. None of us have experienced real love. And the reality of, like, how this works with God and the reason why me and him can be sitting here is because we experience real love. Yeah. Like when we experience the love of Christ, the true love, the truest form of love that you can ever experience, it transforms us. Makes us all the way different, you know what I'm saying? So it's like with us, but then with you doing with Duke, that was a form of love, bro. Like, like being having more people in this world that are willing. That's why Scripture emphasizes love so much. It literally talks about if you don't love your brother, like that's how you know if someone's a believer or a non-believer, the way that they love. And so the, the reason why it influences it so much is because it's so powerful, so powerful. It will change your life, yo. So if we have more people out here that are loving better, that are doing doing the work of love, 
that is what can transform hearts. That's what can. That's what can change. That's the only thing that can change these people. You know what I'm saying. Shout out to the hat too. Love you to life. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Indeed, Aaliyah, come on up. Anybody else want to say anything? The last one. Okay, one, two. Bet that. Close it after y'all too. All right. Hey, y'all. Um, so super quickly, I just wanted to thank y'all for what y'all do because I think a lot of the time um, you hear people, like like you said, the cookie cutter, right? Discipleship. I don't think we talk about this part. Um, so when I got to my church, I kind of came to from something similar. Um, as for what I was a part of wasn't guns. It was more so everyone was in business suits and I was making them a lot of money. And so um, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't afraid of, like, the, on the streets, I was like, oh, my gosh, they could be in the church, and nobody would know because they could own every building here. And they could pull up, pull me in the car, and pull off, and nobody would know. And so when I hear you say that, I'm like, I would be late because I was in my own head. But people were loving on me. People were like reaching out to me. I wasn't going through the same things of like, yeah, I had mama issues, yeah, I had daddy issues, but I was kind of, that wasn't my problem. I was trying to figure out like where people coming for me. And so when I hear your story or both of y'all's story, I'm like, man, that's good because people were reaching out. I had creative teams and my best friend slash sister, she was like, hey, I haven't seen you in a week. And I'm like, girl, I'm fighting for my life. Like, for real, for real. And so it was just so beautiful discipleship. And I feel like Quinnia did such a great job with me. And I really pray that anyone watching this or y'all continued to go out and share that because I think that was the love that I needed. Because I think if no one would have reached out, I would have never been in the church. And I probably would have found someone else to like, hey, so I know how to make some money. And it doesn't even look illegal. And so, but I learned how to go to church and use my gifts the way God intended me to. And so, it's just like, I, I say that, but like when I was listening to everyone sit in this chair, I'm like, God, I'm so thankful that you've created people that have patience and love for those who are a little rebellious, but they just have the spirit of when you were flipping those tables over in the church. And Lord, they might have a little bit of Peter in them, and that's okay, but we think something's wrong with us, right? And I was like, I'm not the girl that's like, okay, that's no problem. That was never me my whole life. My mom would be like, I hear your eyes rolling in the back seat. So like, when I hear these stories, I'm like, oh, thank you, God, that there's kids that will have someone praying for them. That even when Alicia was telling the story about the buzzer, I'm like, yeah, I'm sure that kid was about to punch you, but like, praise God you didn't leave him. And you stayed and probably went to the next thing, or praise God that the guy who was talking about being a PO, I can't imagine. I know those kids are probably troubled, but I know you show up every day. Like, I'm thankful. Yeah, but that was all I had to say. Y'all are great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, th- I think it's a good reminder, even for myself, um, because uh, as much as it is my call for discipleship this season uh, for other men, you know, it, it's not my call to disciple every man. 
You know what I'm saying? And I, th- I think I think being able to decipher and know, you know, um, although there might be a season when you're called to do something and you don't actually get to choose who you disciple, not everybody is called to sit under you, you know. And as much as I feel like, you know, everybody should love me and, you know, I got a real Michael Scott, you know, type of mindset a lot of times. Like, man, why don't you like me? You know, um, and I, I want to be liked, all that stuff. Uh, that's just, you know, my own whispers, my own, like, my own rejection, things I'm still going through. I'll talk about therapist about it later. Um, but it's, it's also one of those things like, man, like, like, I have to be willing to know that even if I'm not doing the work, it's the spirit that is doing the work anyways. And so whether or not it's through me, trusting that it will be done through another, you know? And so all you have to do is just be in position to be used. And as you're in position, the feet will come to you to be washed. And sometimes you actually have to bring the bucket to wash feet, but it's not the feet you get to choose. It's the place. It's like, Hey, once you go to the place that God's called you to put the bucket down and the feet will come, the feet will be there. And there, that's the moment you washed. You know what I'm saying? Cause there's times where you have to wash your enemy's feet and it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant sitting there getting intimate. If washing feet, if literally I'm talking washing feet. Washing feet is a very intimate experience, especially when it's with other men. You know, kind of tickles. So it's like, man, this is kind of weird. You know, it's, 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 it's very, very weird. It's like, man, I'm actually getting my feet washed. I've, like, nobody's ever touched this part of my body before. Like, it's like, man, like, this is interesting. And they're sitting there. It's like, man, okay, well, dang, I'm, I'm having my feet cleaned by another man. I'm cleaning the feet of another man. And like, I've, it's, it's funny, it was like, right after I got my feet washed, I was like, man, I got to bring my bucket everywhere because I'm going to wash man's feet. And like, within like the first month, I ended up washing like, like 10 men's feet, right? Um, but for me, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, man, it's just, this, it's, this podcast grew reminded me, like, man, you know, I'm, I'm not called to disciple everybody. You know? So I, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. I think that, sh- that should also be a challenge to people, though, because, like, you know, scripture says the, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. And so there's like a reality that like we do got to get in position, you know. Like if you're not discipling someone, like find somebody to disciple. So whatever that may look like, like you got, we got to get in position because it's needed. I, I, I think, and this 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 may be me. I've, I've been talking to people about this. Um, I think that scripture was contextual culturally, because at the time it was written, the harvest was ready and the laborers were few. I think today the laborers are lazy. There's enough laborers. Like we, we have a lot of laborers. Christianity is filling the world. If we put in the work. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's almost like uh, it reminds me of when COVID happened. Um, these businesses were like, okay, bet. Everybody's getting these checks and stuff like that. The issue was people not getting jobs. It was people not showing up to work. They were just getting the checks. And they knew that they, they, they couldn't do anything because it's like the government was allowing it. And so literally you have, it's like, man, we actually can't find workers. It's not the jobs aren't there. We can't complain about not having jobs. People weren't showing up to work. And, I'm just, and, and it reminded me of the condition of the church. There's enough ministries in your church for you to serve at. There's enough ministries you can be involved in right down the street, on the corners, at the schools. There's enough work that we can be doing as believers. The harvest is ready. I think the workers are lazy. That scripture was written when the gospel was only being preached in a certain area of the world. Now it's like worldwide, and we're still having an issue because it's like 
we're workers, but we don't want to work. So I think it's just an encouragement to love each other, to do the work, and be each other, be each other, be for each other. You know what I'm saying? That's that's the theory of mine. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how. <laughs> just think it through. I evangelize now, bro. Like everywhere I go. You know what I'm saying? Like I put it in my like on my list is that I have to share the gospel at least three to five uh, times a week. Mm. Otherwise, like I'm not doing it. You know what I'm saying? And before I got there, bro, like I wasn't doing it. Like I was so focused on myself that I didn't, like, I was trying to fix myself. But scripture, bro, says that, like, if I'm available or able, God will use me. Amen. You know what I'm saying? And so that's where, like, I started putting myself everywhere I go. Like, every morning I wake up, I'm like, God, I'm available and able for, for, for me to be used. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like that's where we're falling short. We're focusing so much on ourselves, like, I need to fix this, I need to do this, I need to, like, the list, right? Mm -hmm. Like, America, America, like, or United States runs in, in a list, mm -hmm. runs in, in a timeline, mm -hmm. and I need to get done all this, otherwise I'm not doing it, mm -hmm. right? And we fix ourselves like that with everything. Therefore, like, if you don't put, I need to disciple, or I need to share the gospel with somebody on the list that you have, you're not going to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. But you won't be able to be used by God if you don't even, like, put the time for it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so that's the one thing, bro, that, like, yeah, what you're saying, yeah. culturally, now, yeah. it's right there. Yeah. But right. just, there. yeah, just and, look. And the spirit, the spirit also doesn't always work within our lists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just you yeah. listen to it and you yeah. go. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 being, it's being willing to, to, to accept the fact that, I'm supposed to be here at this time, yeah. but I made a quote-unquote wrong turn. <laughs> I see somebody that needs yeah. me, and I'm like, oh, that wasn't a wrong turn. That yeah. was the right turn to God. It led me to this person. Yeah. So now I might be late to this thing because I need to be here. And it's you know okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Talk to uh, us. Should I, should I announce myself? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, my name is Bianca. Um... I am a crisis interventionist for Tarrant County, so I work with people who are suicidal, and... Um, because I'm not credentialed as a licensed therapist, they try to limit some of the things that we speak to the clients about. Um, initially, when I started, they would say, you know, if they mention God, then you can go ahead and continue off that conversation if that's something that you identify with. So um, you were talking about mental health and unpacking and how your mentor said, um, sometimes are, are would you be okay with not being okay after this and I think that when we're walking with God we expect God to be a genie you know you expect just because you follow God with everything just to be okay automatically and it doesn't happen that way when you are walking with God there's a lot of unpacking there too as well he's also a therapist so you start to see different versions of yourself or you start having to relive certain experiences but that's where you gain healing and so um, I try to, with the little time that I have speaking with many of different people on a different base, on a daily basis, you know, that it's not going to be easy. You know, walking with God is very hard, but, you know, you have to change your perspective instead of looking at like looking at it this way. Why don't you try looking at it that way? So um, I just I just want to touch on what you said about mental health, but also correlating that with. God and unpacking your your trauma you've been through with God as well. Thank you for sharing. Indeed, indeed. Appreciate you. Appreciate yes. you. Um, how uh, how can we support your uh, ministry or your your job? Um, 
you just dial nine eight eight, and uh, yeah, that's how you support. So okay. anybody, that's, that's how you get support. To, there it yeah, is. That's, <laughs> how get, that's how you get support. Yeah. So if anybody has just wherever you at lo- locally, you have a local mental health authority. There's one in Dallas. There's one in Tarrant County, Denton County. Most counties have some, unless it's like a really small county. But just dial nine eight eight if you're going through anything emotionally. They're there to provide support and reassurance and other resources within your local area. Thank you so much. for doing that. Yeah. Do you know the ministry stay here? Huh? Do you know the ministry stay here? Do I know that ministry, the ministry stay, stay here? here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never heard of that. No, so stay here is yeah. Some uh, I have it's two of my friends mm-hmm. that started it, and they are literally focusing on uh, mental health mm-hmm. for like towards uh, suicidal. Okay. And I think I think they're like uh, even geared. I think specifically towards Gen Z, right? Yeah, yeah, Gen Z. Yeah, so stay here, and they're in Dallas County. Uh, one, so one is two brothers okay. who started it. And one of the brothers is uh, all over the place, and then another one is here in Dallas. But the ministry is mainly uh, online. Discipleship or mentorship or just route for people to be able to have help whenever okay. they, are, they are in trouble or something. So look it up. And yeah, I'm definitely yeah. going to look that yeah. up. Thank you oh, for yeah. sharing. It's, it's, it, oh, man, when I heard him speak, it was like, you start hearing the statistics of things going on mm-hmm. as far as like people dealing with suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the one that got me was the one in Canada where they basically, yeah. it's a health assisted suicide yeah. funded by the government. Yeah. And it's like, hey, if you'd like to end your life, we'll do it for you, you medically. Yeah. Wow. And we'll basically, yeah. it'll be pain free and you yep. can just end it. Yeah. That's how bad the condition is over there and it's like, you know, we're actually making accommodations for you to end your life and allowing it to be done. And it's funded. Mm. It's, 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 it's truly wild. That's, that's how bad the epidemic is. Yeah. Especially with the concept of like Gen Z seeing this and growing up in this, knowing that it's, Oh, it's okay. That's, it's just a mental condition that you can actually, you know, just the disease of death. We'll Mm. just, we'll just, we'll just give into that. Mm. And it's like, and, and, and ministries like stay here are challenging those directly. So it's it's beautiful. Yeah. There is a huge, uh, campaign going on right now, uh, with NFLs. We have like 40 NFL players, like 40 plus active and retired NFL uh, quarterbacks, uh, that are like, have experience or have seen it, uh, anybody and their family or friends that have uh, commit suicide. They are putting uh, on September 10, I think is the first week of the Super Bowl or like the uh, NFL mm-hmm. and over like 20 games that are going to be happening that day. Uh, they are going to take a minute to show a video, like a one minute video, uh, just speaking Gen Z to be suicidal free. Mm. So it's a huge stuff that is going wow, on Wow, right I'm going to have to really, oh, yeah. y'all man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, look at yeah. they're, they're, yeah. oh, they're doing they're They doing are amazing. great. Wow, and thank you for sharing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Thank you, Bianca, for sharing. Um, yeah, so appreciate y'all for coming out, you know, uh, especially sticking it through. What we got, what we got? Oh. 
This has been another episode of Black Men Do Talk. We have overdue conversations from a black man's perspective. Went for a walk today. It is your host, Street Hems. We had Dre here, and we also had Franklin in the building, man. For those of y'all who are working with kids in the social work context, in a juvenile attention context, PO context, in a youth ministry context, you are doing the Lord's work by loving your brother. So continuing that. Producing endurance with God is honored through that Be blessed, be encouraged And don't grow weary in doing good Amen, amen Amen again